Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast from sunny Brisbane. Jump into the weather update straight away. Beautiful weather up here at the moment. Blue skies, about 31 degrees. So there's your weather update. Um, and Melinda and I today are going to a bit of a chat of some changes to the um, Queensland residential contract. Yes, welcome back everyone. Glad you got your weather update in. I think last week we were talking about how hot it is and we've had a nice cool change that's come through and best weather ever um, at the moment. Nice mornings, um, beautiful, warm, sunny days. So there you go. I'm even on the bandwagon yeah. for getting that weather update now. Those that aren't living in Brisbane, you're missing out. Um, <laughs> up early this morning, went out swimming. It was beautiful. So lovely weather. So jumping into um, contracts, um, look, there, there has been some changes um, the start of this year where they've brought in the 17th edition um, of the uh, residential contracts for when you're purchasing property here in Queensland. Um, and there are some changes in it which are quite quite interesting and um, very important to understand um, whether you're selling or whether you're buying. Um, it is good to know that and good to know um, what the changes are. So we'll jump straight into it. Um, I guess one of the biggest ones is, um, is, is the settlement side of things, um, being able to extend settlement. Yeah, before we get into that, I do want to say that when we talk about an update to the contract for houses and residential land, we are now uh, working with the 17th edition, um, but also contracts for residential lots in a community titles scheme. Um, the most recent update is the 13th edition, and both of these were released on the 20th of January 2022. So this information is relevant for any contracts entered into after that date. However, it is so important as a buyer for you to understand what edition of the standard REIQ contract you are signing. Because if it is the 16th edition, these conditions will not apply. So you will not have the benefit of the protection of these updates. So make sure when you are presented with a contract of sale to sign, that you are signing, signing the 17th edition if it is for a house purchase or you are signing the 13th edition if it is for a purchase of a unit or a townhouse that is um, under a body corporate scheme. So I hope that helps. But yes, um, as Scott said, uh, one of the most important updates is in relation to changing settlement. Um, now, interestingly, this has come off the back of a, um, a number of um settlement issues that were being in the media um, off the back of COVID. Now, there was one case that sparked them all. Yeah, so basically what, what's happened here, and this has happened um, several times we've heard about it, is where the bank has not been ready, I guess, whether it's the bank or whoever it may be. But in this case, the bank wasn't wasn't able to meet the time frame to settle. Um, so what happened then was the seller actually terminated the contract um, and kept the deposit as they could basically legally in the contract. Um, so it was, it was quite a big case up here in, um, in Queensland. Yeah, so the case that sparked it all, if you like, um, a young couple, first home buyers, and they purchased a property out at Jindalee. Um, their bank was Westpac and they had put forward a $75,000 deposit. Now, under the old um, additions of the REIQ contracts, if you don't meet the settlement date, the... Um, sellers had a right to terminate and keep the deposit. And that's exactly what happened in this instance. And the issue was not related so much to um, the buyer's 
not meeting that date, their finance was approved, it was the bank that and their systems that caused the delay. And 24 hours later, they were ready to settle, but by then the contract had been terminated. So um, despite pleas for the extension um, from the buyers, the sellers did still terminate and that $75,000 was kept. Now, contractually, that was absolutely okay. Um, I think the reason that it made headlines in the the news up in Brisbane was because ethically some people felt that that wasn't the right thing. So because of this case um, and others, uh, the contract has been addressed and there's clauses now to protect the buyers in the instance that um, an extension may be required. And that does get a bit messy, not going into all the details, but I, I think you can actually... Um, be held sort of liable back then for obviously the, the cost for the agents and selling the agent again and so very messy so I'm glad that they've actually had a look at that and um, revised that settlement date um, extension side of things. Yeah so let's just you know take a little bit more of a deep dive into that so the most important change in the updated contracts is the inclusion of a short extension of the settlement date when a party is unable to settle by the settlement date. So there's a new clause, um, clause 6.2, that has been inserted and that allows either the buyer or the seller to extend the settlement date by up to five business days by giving notice to the other side before 4pm on the settlement date. So that's effectively how the um, term has been drafted into the new contract um, and that enables you know, those instances where for whatever reason the banks are not ready to settle last minute, it avoids that um, issue of contracts actually being terminated by the seller. Now, in a lot of instances, I know for our clients, um, you can negotiate an extension to settlement of 24 or 48 hours at that point, but the seller does have that right to terminate, um, you know, ethically, whether that's right or wrong, um, you know, that's not the purpose of this discussion. However, um, in the past, it has been a contractual right for the sellers to terminate and keep the deposit. And that's a bit scary, I think, when you've been through the whole process and through no fault of your own, the banks just, you know, haven't lived up to to their end of the bargain, if you like. Yeah, that's obviously that that change is important. But I I think one one thing we probably come back to in in everything and here as well is the communication. So the communication between the buyer, whether you're using a buyer's agent or or you're doing it directly yourself, but the communication being between you and the agent, so the agent can actually talk to the seller about it and be very open and very honest about it um, and what's actually happening on that side of things. Yeah, there's been a little bit of backlash within the industry, especially from um, some sales agents who, you know, understandably, some sellers need to settle simultaneously. So delaying settlement of one property can potentially have a run-on effect with other properties. So that can cause some issues. There's also been some um, hesitation or backlash around the the timeframes involved, um, the requirement or the ability to extend settlement by up to five business days. That's effectively seven days when you account for the weekend. Um, and some people are arguing that a shorter time frame might have been more appropriate. So obviously with any changes like this, it does come with pros and cons. And um, it'll be interesting to see if that does cause you know, any havoc for people looking to settle, especially those that are relying on settlement funds to, you know, fund the purchase of another property, which may only be a couple of days later. But um, I'm sure the REIQ and other industry bodies will be monitoring the impact. And, and of course, it's not going to be 
every sale. Is This is only in the extreme circumstance that banks are unable to meet the settlement terms as per the contract. So the next one we're going to touch on is um, smoke alarms. And there has been some changes up here, especially um, coming in basically January 1, um, about being compliant with the new legislation for the smoke alarms. Um, if it's a residential property, by the way, um, 2027, if you're, if you're living in that property, um, then you need to be compliant. But if you are uh, a landlord um, and if you're actually selling your property, um, as of 1st of January 2022, you need to comply with the, um, with the new legislation. Yeah, so what that means is that all um, homes or units being sold or leased um, or existing leases being renewed from the 1st of January 2022, they will require hardwired photoelectric interconnected smoke alarms installed. So if you're unsure of what that means, it's very a very good idea to understand what the contractual obligations are. So um, under the new contracts, basically buyers will need to ensure that their building and pest inspection includes advice on the smoke alarm compliance, um, or if it if the building and pest inspector that you engage does not look at the smoke alarms, perhaps um, an alternative separate inspection from a smoke uh, alarm compliance company would be required. You can also ask the seller to provide evidence of compliance by providing the compliance certificate to you. Ultimately, if you do not check this um, and advise the seller prior to settlement, um, basically, there's no benefit for you. So the obligation still lies on the buyer to make sure that you are requesting this information or doing these searches for compliance. Um, in the event that there are no smoke alarms um, or non-compliant or non-compliant <laughs> smoke alarms at the residence, um, the new contract actually provides the benefit to the buyer of an adjustment at settlement of 0.15% of the purchase price. Um, so that must be claimed before settlement as well. But it gives you an understanding of the importance. The obligation is on the seller to make sure that they've got the compliant smoke alarms. Uh, however, buyers must also request this information to ensure that compliance is achieved prior to settlement. Otherwise, they forfeit the benefit of that um, price adjustment. So I think in summary there, you basically look at, I think a lot of people, a lot of sellers, it's a smart thing to actually do. Um, and it's up to them to, to basically do that. You find a lot of sellers at the moment are selling with a um, building and pest inspection, and it's a good thing to do the smoke alarms, obviously your, your pool and things like that to be compliant, um, to, to keep it up the standard and actually do that. It'll actually make it easier to sell um, and a lot less hassles. It is on the... Um, the buyer to make sure that they actually get that checked and then they can actually request it or basically let them know that it's non-compliant. A little bit of a summary of those smoke alarms. Obviously, previously they were in hallways and in, in areas that are um, basically like common areas, I guess, if you want to call it to, to make it simple. You can, you can search this up as well. Um, basically now there has to be one in every, um, in each story of the house. So in each level, each bedroom, so prove that that's a new one. You never had it in the bedrooms previously. Um, and obviously then your hallways and your general areas um, like it was previously. But the interconnection, um, hardwired, um, if they can't be hardwired, you can get the ones that use the lithium batteries. 
Um, so there are ways around that if you can't get in the ceiling or there's no access, things like that, there are ways that they can do it. Obviously, engage a professional that can sign off on it and they will know what is required as well. And one thing I will say that there has been a new clause, clause 8.2, that has been amended. And this now allows the buyer to enter a property to inspect whether the compliance smoke alarms have been installed. So even those buyers that don't include a building and pest inspection um, or a building and pest clause as part of their contract, um, providing you are signing the most recent contracts, you do have the right to enter the property to inspect those smoke alarms for compliance. So that's actually another benefit for the buyer. Um, it's just ensuring that you exercise your right and understand what your rights are as a buyer in these instances. And I think that's another reason why I say a lot of sellers, it's a good idea to do this yourself is because there's nothing worse than if you're selling a house and you've got open homes or whatever it is that people are trampling through and it's all the, the inconvenience. But if you go and then sell that property and you need to give access for a smoke alarm inspection, access for a building and pest inspection, access for evaluation, again, there's those interruptions. So from a seller, I think it's actually a really smart idea to provide everything like that up front and it'll just actually make the sale go through a lot cleaner um, and you'll get the buyers coming in through the door. So... The next one we're going to jump on to is um, deposits. Yes, yeah, so deposit payments by direct debit. There's been um, some small changes here. Um, a new clause, or clause 2.2, now provides for payment of the deposit by direct debit. Um, and it also allows for the buyer to still be compliant um, if they Basically, they'll have an additional two business days or a grace period for the deposit to be cleared into the relevant trust account. So um, that's always been a little bit of a grey area. Evidence has needed to be provided of payment. Now that's written into the contract that um, provided that you actually pay the deposit by direct debit, um, you'll have two business days for that deposit to appear into the account to meet your contractual obligations. So no writing out checks these days, is there? Those, no. those were the days when people used to write a check and hand in a piece of piece of paper, which was a check. I don't think a lot of people don't even know what a check is these days, I don't think. <laughs> and look, I think ultimately, again, um, it's another benefit for the buyers. It does prevent sellers from acquiring a right to terminate where the deposit's not cleared into the relevant trust account by 5pm on the due date for payment of those deposit um, amounts. So, you know, it's just, I guess, moving with the times, a lot of people do make payments now by direct deposit as opposed to by cheque. So, you know, it's obviously um, something that needs to be accounted for depending on where the monies are being moved from. Sometimes I know even with our clients, if the deposit payment um, exceeds a daily limit, it might be paid in two or three instalments as well. So as long as the full amount is received, um, you, you also have that additional two days grace period for it to be cleared into the relevant account. Yeah, that's showing my age a little bit there with the, the checks. I do remember driving around with mum and mum paying all the uh, the accounts by check when I was growing up in the country. So <laughs> um, the next one we're going to jump onto, I touched a little bit on previously when I, when I was talking about the certificates is the pool compliance certificate. Yes, now um, clause 5.3 in the new contract provides that a seller must provide a buyer with a pool compliance certificate on or prior to settlement unless a notice of no pool safety certificate was given to the buyer prior to signing the contract. So if as a buyer you did not receive or you do not receive um, a notice of no pool safety certificate, um, the obligation is on the seller to provide a pool safety compliance certificate prior to settlement. 
Now, if you don't, if you, sorry, if you do get that notice of non-compliance, um, as a buyer um, from settlement, you have 90 days um, to make sure you actually have a compliance. So once you've, once you've got that non-compliance certificate, you can actually engage a pool safety uh, inspector to go and do an inspection on it. They will give you um, notice of what, what is required to be done, and it's up to you to engage um, the contractors to make sure that's all done and compliant. Um, and then you can um, get it all compliant straight after settlement then. But again, it's, uh, you know, very important for a buyer to understand what they need to do and what their rights are because there are laws around pool safety fencing. Um, and as a buyer, if you've not been provided with a uh, pool compliance uh, safety certificate, you do um, hold that obligation to to conduct that work yourself to make sure you've got a compliant pool safety fence after settlement. Um, the other thing is that if for whatever reason a seller doesn't provide the um, pool compliance safety certificate prior to settlement, you do have the right to terminate the contract right up until that settlement date. So, you know, the obligation then lands back with the, the seller to provide that if you've not been given the prior notice that there's no pool safety certificate. So uh, jumping on the next one, which is clause 7.5, um, it's basically services um, unrelated to the land. Yeah, so it now provides a buyer with a right to terminate if the infrastructure that's unrelated to the delivery of services, so things such as gas, electricity, water and sewerage, um, if that passes through the land and is not disclosed to the buyer um, and is considered material. So um, I guess the seller's failure to disclose services passing through the land may actually result in a termination right. So, again, putting the um, the pushing back, I guess, and making sure that the seller does disclose a lot of the um, things that are underground is important now and, you know, that's been written into the new contract. It's, it's not something that um, you can hide from a buyer. I know as buyer's agents that's such a search that we would always do mm. before entering into a contract anyway, but now the obligation does uh, lie with a seller to provide that information up front. So there's nothing hidden from a buyer um, and everything's actually put forward up front. Yeah, it's interesting. That one, I mean, that one, I we do it all the time for our clients. Every property we look at, we make sure that we check um, everything underground, underground services. We have reports and we have ways to, to check all of those. Um, obviously, there's Dole Before You Dig, which is a service. Um, there's different type of reports like Develo and those types of things where you can actually get those reports, you can you can actually see what services are in the area um, and make sure you do your homework. Um, that's something that's really important, especially for the buyer. Do that work up front and make sure you actually understand what's there. You know, a little thing, for example, like if you're buying a home and, and you're thinking a beautiful home, I want to put a pool in there. Um, if there's a sewer line running through that backyard, um, you're in trouble. So you want to make sure you really do that homework yourself um, to make sure you understand what you're buying as well. I do still agree with that. Um, and I must admit that, you know, this clause is actually only going to protect a buyer when whatever's underground is considered material. Now that's open to interpretation. Um, in fact, it could actually result in some sort of dispute as to whether the issue is material or not. So, you know, I think that even in the event that something is found, you've entered into a contract, you may not have known about it up front, you know, it does um, become a dispute of the contract um, in the event then that the infrastructure is considered immaterial, um, but the buyer elects to proceed anyway, then the buyer may have a right to compensation only, but, you know, it must be claimed prior to settlement. So there's so many 
issues there. I think that it's important for sellers to disclose based on the new contractual um, obligations, but it's equally important for buyers to understand upfront what they're buying because there's nothing worse than, you know, entering into disputes once a contract's already been signed. Now, the only other one was the um, warranties, basically warranties by the seller. Yeah, so warranties basically um, making making the seller, or sorry, making the buyer aware of um, anything upfront. And there's been some changes to, you know, some of the warranties that can be provided or that need to be provided. Um, I think it's important to understand if you are a seller, what you do need to disclose to buyers um, and potentially seek some legal advice speak to your sales agent to get that advice because now um, even things that might be known but are not yet formal disputes uh, between a seller and other parties like council, neighbours, etc., there may be a requirement to disclose that sort of information up front uh, because as a seller you're providing new warranties to the buyer um, and it's important that you understand what you are, um, you know, promising to that buyer because it could land in legal dispute if you are unsure. So seek legal advice if you know that there's any um, disputes in relation to the property that you're selling, um, anything that's known to counsel or anything that council's aware of, council may have been communicating with you. There may not be any enforcement notice as such, but um, you're now warranting that there's nothing that could lead to a future enforcement notice. So understand what you're signing before you sign, even as a seller, that's critical and your sales agent should be able to step you through that and give that sort of advice. I think I think it goes both ways when you look at that. Um, as you just said there, Melinda, your sales agent, good sales agents, they'll know these contracts now. That they know what's happening. They know what's got to be done. Um, good buyers agents, if you know, we know what's happening. So for us to work with a sales agent, we're professionals in this industry. We know what's required now and we know the changes to these contracts. Um, I guess for, for a buyer and a seller, be prepared, be organised. If you need advice, get some advice on it. Um, communicate um, is, is a massive thing I keep harping on all the time, but just communication between all parties. Little things like your settlement extensions, it's the communication to keep it all alive. At the end of the day, the buyer wants to buy and the seller wants to sell. So, you know, it's just keeping that, that um, negotiation part nice and smooth all the way through the process. Um, it is a, it's a quite a stressful time buying property for some people. So um, you just want to make it as easy as you possibly can. Yeah, and I think that that's um, provided a pretty good summary of, you know, the major changes. There's also um, the definition of contract date has been amended slightly to accommodate signing of electronic contracts in real work. So, you know, it's there's, there's a few small tweaks in the contract that um, that do matter. And again, your sales agent or your buyer's agent should be able to help you understand. If not, seek the advice from a conveyancer and understand what you're signing before you sign. A good solicitor or a good conveyancer will help to explain all of the, the changes, but also help you to understand what your legal obligations are. You are entering into a, a legally binding contract, so it's very important that you understand, you know, what your rights are, especially when it comes to, you know, such huge, large um, investment sums, like we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars here. You don't want to make a mistake and not understand what you're signing. So make sure you seek that professional advice um, and understand everything that you're writing uh, or signing for. Excellent. 
Well, look, I hope that's been um, useful information, um, give you a bit of an update there um, on the changes to the contracts up here in Queensland. Um, as usual, I will let Melinda wrap it all up. Um, I'll get out and about now and go and enjoy the sunshine um, if I can get out of the office for a little while. But, um, look, we'll chat again next week. It's been good chatting and um, take care and bye for now. Yeah, I hope that's been a useful update. And I think the biggest takeaway from today's episode is to know what version of the contract you are signing and make sure if you are a buyer that it is the most recent update, it will give you more protection than previous versions. So I hope that's a big takeaway for you if you are signing a contract for the purchase of property here in Queensland. So um, as always, if you do enjoy the content that we share, please let your friends and family know about our podcast. And we would love for you to leave us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you want to hear. It helps us to continue to develop relevant content to share with our audience. Um, Until next week, have a good one and we will speak to you again then. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.